Oh, hello, I'm Nick Miller, and here we go again, The Sunday Miller, episode seven. I'm, I'm walking to the studio in what can only be described as summertime weather at the wrong time of the year. I'm, I'm not complaining. If it carries on like this, we'll all have to stop being so ungrateful by trying to banish global warming. Never mind just stop oil, I think we should have more oil. Fossil fuels, carbon, CO2 emissions, bring it on. Actually, I think what's happened is that the TARDIS has caused so much consternation in the space-time continuum that we're now having summer in the autumn. And it just so happens that Doctor Who has regenerated again. I don't know if you saw it this week. Having transitioned into a female Doctor, she's jumping on the bandwagon and suing the Tavistock Clinic, and she's now transitioning back to David Tennant. Uh, of course, the big news of the week is what's been going on at number 10. Maureen, I think her name is. She's moved that bloke back in, you know, the one with the tattoos of David Icke. No good will come of it. Oh, oh, sorry, that's number 10 down my road. Up in Westminster, who knows who's moving in next week? It's the proverbial revolving door, and we've got a special exclusive government announcement at the beginning of today's show. Uh, I'll be discussing some of my other favourite topics, old Elon Musk. Did you know that Elon Musk is an anagram of lone scum? Bit harsh, but don't shoot the messenger. Oh, sorry, messenger's Facebook. He's Twitter, isn't he? Uh, and Just Stop Oil, back again after Soupgate, this time armed with cake. If only Vladimir Putin only had cake. If all he could do was fire cake at the Donbass region, we'd all live happier lives. And poor Joe Biden, I know it's been a torrid time for him trying to remember the name of our latest Prime Minister, but fuck me, if someone could install some anal beads just to wake him up 20 minutes before he speaks to the nation to tell him how to pronounce the name of his greatest ally, we might all be able to sleep at night knowing that if we do have a nuclear war, he might not misspell Kremlin as Croydon. Although some might say that a nuclear device might make some improvements to Croydon, but that's not the point. So all of this and more besides, with occasional interjections from the man with a voice like crushed velvet and the underpants like, well, crushed velvet, apparently, uh, the legendary voice of the lottery balls himself, the infamous Alan Dedicote, who's just here to say things like this. The Sunday Miller. Half an hour of your life you'll never get back. This is an appeal on behalf of His Majesty's Government. In times of war, you've always come forward. When we've appealed for blood donors or good men and true to undertake jury service, the nation has stepped up to the plate. During the mandatory COVID vaccination programme, you have, as one, again offered your services. Now the country needs your assistance once again. Have you been Prime Minister yet? I'm doing it on Wednesday, on Thursday it's Michael Barrymore, on Friday it's Keith Harrison Orville, and Saturday it's that annoying woman from the O'Maze advert. If you can spare just a few hours, call now. So we've witnessed another extraordinary week in British politics. We saw the departure of the never popular Liz Truss after just 48 days in office and in effect the coronation of her successor, unopposed. But you know, for the life of me, I can't quite place his name. What was it again? Richie Simmons? Ricky Snackpack? No, it's gone. It's gone. I know what. Joe Biden will know. We've got news. The Russian... Rashid Sunuk is now the Prime Minister. That's it, Rashi, Rashi Sunuk. Joe Biden, every inch the erudite, sharp-witted, compassmentous successor to young Mr Grace from Are You Being Served. I shouldn't have forgotten, I do keep a life-size cutout of the new Prime Minister on my desk. <laughs> sorry, sorry, what was his name again? Rashid, Rashid 
Sanook is now the Prime Minister. As my brother would say, go figure. And the Conservative Party. I love the fact that Joe tells us that his brother would say, go figure, with no explanation as to what it was we were supposed to figure. And he just says, and the Conservative Party, and forgets why he said it halfway through the sentence. In fact, the Americans are literally halfway through their sentence, uh, another two years on, and they can vote for someone else who's probably just as fucking bonkers as him and Trump. So anyway, I do keep a life-size cutout, Rashi Sanuk, on my desk. I thought I misplaced it, but it was behind the stapler. But I have to say that with the departure of yet another Prime Minister, I am financially disadvantaged again. I came out of it worse by Boris not deciding to run. I'd already written the campaign song. I rolled out the vaccine and I'm a god in Ukraine. Although I was hired by Liz Truss to help her list her many achievements during her period in office. We gave the kitchen a good going over and we helped with the energy crisis by switching off one bar on the electric fire. I think the thing Liz regretted most of all was not being able to fulfil her full agenda. They only got halfway through steaming off Boris's hideous wallpaper. Run for the hills. It's the Sunday Miller. Those Just Stop Oil Scooby-Doo characters have been at it again this week. As we've just been discussing, we have a new Prime Minister. I can't remember his name, but that's OK. Neither can the President of the USA. I sneaked into the cabinet office and I overheard the Prime Minister talking to the cabinet and saying, do you know, I was almost tempted to stop oil when those two smashing young girls threw soup at the Van Gogh painting last week. But thank goodness nobody's as yet put cake in the faces of King Charles and Camilla at Madame Tussauds. If they do that, I'm definitely calling the G7. I can only assume that this is a new type of guerrilla activism where environmental campaigners attack replicas of people like Charles, who's probably been the most well-known and outspoken environmental campaigner for, well, long before the misguided parents of these misguided little wankers were born. I can just see them all at home now, the whole family naked, with goats roaming around the house, with the parents homeschooling the kids on how to make an incendiary device out of raffia and yoghurt. And they probably love a conspiracy theory, you know, 9-11 and the moon landings didn't actually happen. Princess Diana didn't actually die in a car accident and she's being held captive by the Illuminati, run by the equally not actually dead Prince Philip. They suck it all up like a Dyson advert. They'll believe any old nonsense. They'll be telling me that Katie Price's breasts are fake next. The Sunday Miller. More balls than the National Lottery. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but surely I can't be alone. Bands with numbers in their names. I don't mean the, the weird ones like Two's Company, who were that brother and sister act on The X Factor, who used to sing love songs to each other, looking longingly into each other's eyes. That was just disturbing. And now I'm hating myself because I can't get rid of that vision of musical incest. I'm feeling queasy. But don't worry, Queasy wasn't one of the Seven Dwarves. It occurred to me that uh, most bands have got four or five members, unless you are five, the band five, in which case you've only got three members. People going to their gigs should demand 40% off their ticket money. At least S Club 7 had the decency to drop the number seven when people started leaving the band. You know, the pretty one. Um, I suppose five couldn't very easily do that, or they'd just be called... Well, well, they wouldn't be called anything. And as for Heaven 17, well, there are only four of them. I mean, come on! But the biggest offenders, 911. By far the worst. 908 of them have never turned up to rehearsal. And if they've never had an album called What Service Do You Require? I'd be very disappointed.
Sunday Miller. You wouldn't have to listen to this nonsense if you were in church. Look, I know I go on about him a bit too much for comfort, but Elon Musk, can he ever get any weirder? Is that humanly possible? I say human in the full knowledge that he isn't one. As you may have heard, he of the melted waxwork face finally completed on his deal to buy Twitter this week for, what was it, um, $44 billion. And ever the witty prankster, he walked into Twitter headquarters in San Francisco on Thursday carrying a bathroom sink. Now, as we know, there are numerous delusions that befall the rich and famous and the powerful, mainly due to the fact that they surround themselves with yes-men who tell them everything's a good idea and they're even greater than they think they are. Like the generals around Putin telling them everything's going really well in Ukraine and the inner circle of geeky sycophants circling Elon Musk like flies around a cowpat must have said, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll be hilarious. Carry a bathroom sink into the offices of Twitter just so that you can use the line, let that sink in. (laughs) His other hilarious joke is now calling himself Chief Twit. He claims he's bought the social media giant to help humanity, whom he claims to love. I want to let Donald Trump back in. Humanity can breathe a sigh of relief. He, uh, uh, Elon Musk, that is, is an increasingly strange man who I think is destined to end up as a kind of Howard Hughes figure with three-foot-long fingernails and a beard full of sparrows. He's a bizarrely egocentric character who evidently, despite his enormous wealth, doesn't own a house. I can only assume he sleeps in one of his cars. As I mentioned before, he has something like 17 children by about 23 different women. And all his kids have peculiar names which don't seem to have any vowels or consonants but look like mathematical equations. So despite his considerable success, he's just truly bloody annoying. But then so would I be if I had his money. I would be insufferably irritating if I had amassed a fortune of $220 billion. I'd be the sort of person I'd avoid. And if I had a party, I would definitely not invite me. It's the Sunday Miller. I've come to the conclusion that everything about being a parent requires the utmost dedicated hypocrisy. You know when you tell your kids not to use their mobile phones at the table, but then you do it yourself? And you try to convince them that meeting Jim for a pint after the football is actually an important business meeting. So being a parent is both a privilege and a moral chore. I've mastered the art of uh, hypocritical parenting, telling my kids not to be rude, only to be told off by my youngest daughter for not saying please. That does actually happen. Can we really expect our kids to toe the party line, so to speak, in terms of family rules when we were just as bad or worse than them when we were young? For example, telling them not to be home late, or at least to let you know where they are when we were always home late, and because back then we had the excuse that we couldn't find a phone box. As a kid, I was a a terrible rebel, truly a rebel without a cause. I actually had no idea what I was rebelling about. But it's a, a kind of rite of passage, and I blame my parents for my comfortable upbringing But the same hypocrisy applies to just being a grown-up in general, getting back to mobile phones. You know that moment when you almost bump into people walking towards you, not looking where they're going because they're looking down at their phones and you curse them despite the fact that you were looking down at your phone at the same time. I almost ran over a woman last week who was looking down at her phone as she was crossing the road. I almost ran her down. I promise you I'll try harder next time. Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very common. Well, now just to avoid confusion, my guest today is is Pete Cunningham, my old comedy pal, not to be confused with Pete Sugarfoot Cunningham, the retired retired Canadian seven-time world champion Hall of Fame kickboxer. Or are you one and the same, do you think? 
No, I've never heard of this guy. Sugar. Oh, okay. Pete Sugarfoot. Uh, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, his name is. Peter so. Sugarfoot. I like his name, Sugarfoot. I like it. It's good, isn't it? You've got a bit of a Sugarfoot yourself, haven't you? I had gout for a while. That <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's why I mentioned yeah. it, but uh, I'll, we'll cut yeah. that bit. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if I'm breaking any kind of showbiz code in revealing your real name, given that you're best known for your comedy pseudonyms, but rather in the same way that I inadvertently revealed that Keith Lemon is actually the alter ego Father Christmas which explains what he does for the other 364 days of the year. So, <laughs> and, also, <laughs> yes, and also that Ian Cranky isn't actually shagging a 13-year-old schoolboy. That's just, I let that cat out of the bag. Now, tell us about these alter egos of yours, uh, Pete, the most famous and controversial, which is a cross between, if people haven't come across you before, a cross between Frank Sinatra and a certain well-known genocidal maniac. And yeah. you've given him the name of? Well, yeah. Uh, well, infamous, not famous. It, uh, yeah, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is the act. I've uh, been doing it for oh, 20 years now. Um, it came up as a sort of a joke idea. Uh, when I was at Glastonbury with the London Swing Phony, a big band, I used to sing uh, with them all the Sinatra hits. We used to tour around quite a lot, uh, do corporates, things like that. And because uh, I've got such a dark sense of humour, I, I decided to res research Frank Sinatra and find out that he wasn't actually as nice a man as, as was portrayed. So I jokingly said one day to a photographer friend of mine, Rick Ford, I said, uh, I said, uh, what would, uh, I said, what would he be like? You know, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I said, what would he sing? You know, and I thought songs, you know, uh, like that, sort of that's life, third Reich. I thought, oh, and I thought maybe could have a daughter, Nancy Sinatra, because like Nancy Sinatra, do jack boots are made for walking instead of boots. <laughs> yes. so it's, um, it's sort of like one joke, but it's become kind of like a joke uber artist because it, it, it's the joke that just keeps on giving uh, with song content and just ridiculous, sort of almost Python-esque, you know, sort of a la producers um, uh, references. So, you know, it's it's formed its own life, as it were. It, it has. I mean, I, I well remember the time. I mean, you've done my sh my sort of live shows many a time, and there was the time at Croydon Fairfield Halls where we were doing the show actually in the foyer, and there's a massive mm. great staircase uh, facing us, and you came down the staircase. I, I, I believe in jackboots, but I might have made that bit up. But it yeah. had that kind of regal effect of the of the actual. Uh, well, do you remember? Yeah, I do remember that because on the and upstairs at the Fairfield Halls uh, was Paul Gascoigne. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. And uh, Jimmy Greaves. They used to tour together. Jimmy Greaves, Greaves and Gascoigne doing a, they're both in a bit worse state for wear, but, uh, and um, <laughs> the audience that went to see them, obviously a lot of sort of football going uh, males, middle-aged men saw me as, and, and just thought, looked in disbelief as I came marching <laughs> coming out from the show upstairs. And there's me standing on the floor, up, upstairs on the landing. Uh, with my little Hitler moustache on, and, yeah, and then <laughs> the hair brushed yeah. down in a certain angle. Hair brush, yeah, just coming down the stairs, and some of the comments were were quite incredible, yeah. Now, Pete, I know you were away on holiday last week. But I don't know if you you saw. You're probably aware of the return of Friday Night Live. Yeah, um, I saw it. Yeah, saw it's coming back on. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the funniest people in the show were the oldies, Joe Brand and Julian Clary and Harry Enfield. Ben Elton was sort of funny-ish as usual, uh, but the young alleged up-and-coming acts I thought were terrible. Is it, yeah. you know, there was a especially there's a, a transgender comedian called Jordan Gray, who fully intended to be shocking to sort of disguise the fact she just wasn't funny, and at the end of her act, she chose to take advantage of the fact 
that the show was live by taking off her boiler suit so she could strut around naked and play the piano with her penis. Right. And it was so meant. Yeah, it was meant to be funny. Just they forgot yeah. to be funny. But uh, do, yeah. do you think that? Do you think that Friday Night Live and Saturday Night Live was in the vanguard of making character stand-up comedy popular? And did that influence you in any in any way? I was always very impressed by the young ones when they first came out. Rick Mail, uh, uh-huh. Aide, um, Aide Edmondson, and you know the guys, uh, uh, Nigel Planer, because that was groundbreaking comedy. But it all kicked off from the back of. I just missed it very slightly because the, Malcolm Hardy used to run the um, well up the, the, up the creek. But before that, he, there was the uh, things like the, the Tunnel Club and the Woolwich. Oh, Tramp- Woolwich, yeah, yeah, Woolwich Trampshire. When a lot of these sort of alternative acts, because I think it was a backlash to Thatcherism, wasn't it? Really, you know, people were just it, it became the new rock and roll, didn't it? Comedy at the time, people were trying oh, things yeah, very that much. They normally probably wouldn't normally try on a comedy circuit as a sort of punk sort of version, if you like, of comedy. And I think a lot of those acts have stood the test of time. Um, you know, they're, they're still around, and hence, you know, the Joe Brands of the world used to go out with Malcolm Hardy, apparently. So, um, the um, yeah, these these people, uh, the quality stays, doesn't it? So these people are still around, and the others just fall yes, by the way yeah. tonight, not with the acts. Uh, you know, uh, surprised they haven't called me, actually. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> I did the establishment club, didn't I? Which is Peter Cook's thing up in in Piccadilly. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I did the establishment. I did it a couple of times, and then I found out in the one, when I was up in Edinburgh, they had a big double decker bus, and I was asked to perform uh, there. And then I found out it was funded by what's the Russian news channel? R. Oh, RT, Russian Russian Today. Uh, yeah, and I found it had been funded. And when I suggested that I do a Putin act, taking the Mickey out of Putin, <laughs> uh, sort Who- of like that. Yeah, Putin comes in, sort of like I've got this bear outfit, and I'm, it looks like I'm being carried by a bear, and uh, and I sing well, one of the songs. It's Ukrainian men, Hallelujah. Uh, sort of like, very, very camp Putin. Okay, it's, um, it's on comedy unleashed. It's on the YouTube footage. Oh, you? I yeah. must, I must. See. Well, being carried by a bear in, in a sort of uh, Bernie Clifton style. Do you mean? Yeah, is, is that, yeah, that sort yeah. of outfit? Oh, Sam because I like taking the making up dictators, you see. Um, yeah, I've, I've noticed. I've noticed. Although some people do take the wrong end of the stick, they they, they do think that I'm actually uh, a bit of a Nazi, which is ridiculous. Of course, I mean could, nothing could be further from the truth. But there you go. I mean, uh, going back to your original thing about the Friday Night Live, uh, I think it needs more of this sort of thing. People need to use their imagination, come up with a few more, you know, interesting character comedy uh, characters. Uh, it would be a start. I mean, they were. <clears throat> they were halcyon days, weren't they? I mean, Carolina Herm was very much uh, in the thick of it with Sister Mary Immaculate at the time, wasn't she? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, great act. Um, you referring to the Edinburgh Fringe? You've done that many times, very successfully with your um, Das Vegas uh, show. Yeah, well, I, I change it all the time. I did all one sort of stuck in the bunker with you. Was my uh, was one of the shows? Well, I had a, a diva brawn, and it was just me and Eva, and she. she I wrote her some songs like you know the Petula Clark Downtown. I wrote Down for for her. And so she sung down for, um, and you know, and and there's a few other <laughs> characters I brought in <clears throat> into the show. Um, that that was that was quite good doing it. It made the audience feel like they were in the bunker with me, as I saw it was half play, almost half, uh, you know, comedy show. Um, and uh, it, it got yeah, it, it had some good write ups about that. I got some good coverage on that. 
The, the one bit of coverage you did get, which may, may have been uh, inadvertent and unwanted, was, um, uh, and I asked you about this, you didn't mind me bringing this up, but you, uh, when your fellow comedian Darren Walsh won the uh, Award for the Funniest Joke of the Fringe in 2015, um, and it turned out to be a joke that you'd given him. I didn't, I didn't give it to him. That? I mean, Darren, I didn't give it oh, to him. Right, he nicked it. Well, it, you see, this is the thing. This is the thing with comedy. What is a, Who owns a joke? I mean, that's why I didn't pursue it too much. I mean, I used that joke um, about my agent, Harvey Goldberg. Oh, tell, us, tell us what the joke is. Well, the joke is that I've got this agent called Frank Sinasi. He has obviously has a Jewish agent. He has to, doesn't he? I have actually got a Jewish agent in real life, Mike Lee. <laughs> yeah. but, but I made up Harvey Goldberg as this Jewish agent. And I said, you know, he booked us in for Israel. We bombed there, this, this sort of thing. And I said, he's also asked me to take all my... Uh, German names off the of my phone now uh, to make it hands free. <laughs> so I actually tweeted that to uh, tweeted that to Darren Walsh uh, quite oh, whenever it was a few years prior to that, and I invariably throw it in the show. It's not a great gag; it's just a pun. I invariably throw it in. I've got quite a lot of material. Sometimes I throw it in, and sometimes I throw other stuff in. Um, and um, yeah, and then he, he one of because he does like scatter jokes. He's like, like he's very sort of like he does, you know, yeah. Well, he was the pun man, wasn't he? So was Leo Curse at the start, yeah. the pun man. And uh, so there's, it was like a thousand jokes in an hour, whatever it was, just pun, 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 you know. And um, a bit like Ken Dodge, you know, this number of jokes you can tell <laughs> in, in an hour. But and, um, and one of them was my joke. And, uh, of course, it went, it got chosen. And my agent was straight on to me, Mike Lee. He said, that's your joke, Pete. I said, yeah, I know. I said, I'll have a word with Darren. And I chatted to him and he, he couldn't remember where he got the joke from. I said, well, it's mine. That's where you got it from. I said, <laughs> you've won it now. And I said, you've won it. And I said, look, it's, you can't take that back. Dave Comedy Awards has given it to you. I said, the thing is, the thing is, uh, they weren't going to give it to somebody called Frank Sinatzi. Well, that's way. true. That's very true. So, I mean, have it with my blessing was the thing. Uh, but he did get a little bit upset because he, I think he th thought I stole his thunder a little bit, but it wasn't really his thunder to steal, you know, that is the way I looked at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, it uh, made the news. It was, it, um... yeah. Yeah, it made, it made the news also, um, you probably didn't know this, it made the news when me and Aaron Barshak, when I first started doing this act, went down to Lost Withal, where they had the Hitler auctions, and I dressed up as Hitler and made a bid on one of the paintings. <laughs> uh, God. Of six million. I said, I don't know where I get six million from, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, and then I went, that's not a Hitler, that's a Mussolini, you've all been had. And that went out on PBC <laughs> News 24. But that was supposed to sort of highlight where the money was going for the sale. Because they were yeah. attributed to Hitler, but they weren't really sure if they were Hitler's watercolor. Even though that Jimmy Carr destroyed one allegedly the other night, whether that was yes, Hitler I saw or that, or, one, or whether one Jimmy Carr just painted, I'm not sure. But, uh, Very strange yeah. show, but that's another, another story for another day. Uh, Frank Sinatra is often billed as, a, as performing with the Iraq Pack, featuring Saddam Davis Jr., Osama bin Crosby, and Dean Stalin. You, I know yeah. you got a Putin uh, alter ego. So I'm guessing that you would have had a Pol Pot character, but. Paul Potts beat you to it, didn't he? Well, <laughs> I mean, how many dictators can you throw in an hour show? I mean, yeah, I did. Do, I did do one show where I mentioned we had the top dictators of the world who had killed more people uh, of his own people than any other. Because Stalin killed more of his own people, he uh, did than, than the Germans did for sure. And um, he called him the milkman because he, he called him the milkman. That was his nickname, Stalin. Uh, Mao, Mao gave it a good go as well, but he just starved no, them. No, 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 Mao was the record holder. I think it's something like 53 million uh, yeah. because of the Cultural Revolution. They all starved the day, starved them all to death. And um, so, you know, he's, he's top of the list, Mao. And I did do a song called Big Bad Chairman Mao. Because Sinatra oh, yes, I love it. I love it. Brown. 
Yeah, I'm going to bring that back for Conway this weekend. I think I'll bring that back. Just in case people aren't certain, I'm digging, digging out, digging out dictators. Mm. Another, um, another of your your classier acts is uh, Tom Moans, who's a sort of a, a, a kind of a octogenarian Tom Jones, isn't he? And uh, again, well, the uh, he's an octogenarian, isn't he? Oh, he is now. <laughs> he is. He is. That looks yeah. fantastic for it, unlike myself. But again, causing controversy with your reworked version of Delilah called Alzheimer's. But yeah, my, 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 just, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but Tim, that sometimes gets a lot, a lot more stick than the Frank Sinatra. But people, I bet it does. I bet it does. Well, because people, but, you know, they have to live with the dementia and Alzheimer's, and I kind of get that. You know, I've, people in my family have had it as well, so I'm, I'm aware of it. But you know, I mean, where do you, where do you stop making jokes, and where do you? I, know. I don't know. Also, other characters I noticed Elvis Corpsley, who I assume is a zombie. Very popular. This weekend, very popular this weekend, Elvis Corpsley. Because we've got Halloween coming up. So. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Now, look, we, we, we've run out of time, I'm afraid. But look, it's, it's, it's fantastic to talk to you. We, we haven't seen each other for a while, so we'll make up for that. But uh, yeah. uh, please keep keep up the good work of offending the nation uh, across the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't like, see me again, you know what's happened. Indeed. Well, both of us will be, be in a sort of neighbouring <laughs> cells, I think, after this. Nick Miller. The face for radio. The voice for a ransom demand. There is a tangential link between this section of the podcast and my conversation with Pete just now. Stick with it. I cried myself to sleep last night upon hearing the tragic news that Kanye West is no longer a billionaire. This comes in the wake of Adidas, the German sportswear giant, cutting ties with Yee, as he now prefers to be called, over anti-Semitic remarks he made on social media. I can only imagine he must have been misinterpreted. I mean, who would have suspected such things of a man who, according to a former employee, had an obsession with a certain German dictator? And it wasn't Frank Sinatzi. He would apparently praise Hitler by saying how incredible it was that he was able to accumulate so much power and would talk about all the great things he and the Nazi party achieved for the German people. He was escorted from the corporate offices of the Sketchers Shoe Company this week after he apparently turned up unannounced and uninvited, presumably attempting to cut a deal with them as a new home for his Yeezy brand. It's not easy to say that, I'm afraid. Myself and my neighbours were disturbed to read of his financial plight and have arranged a jumble sale. Other concerned townsfolk have donated old clothes, someone's given a toaster, and there's a pile of shit old Garnier records. I originally assumed that Kanye West was a marginal constituency in the East Midlands, but that was before I found out he was just, just a wanker. Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very, very common. I don't know if you find as I do, but every day seems to be an awareness day of some sort, or it's an awareness week or month. There seems to be an awareness day for pretty much anything you can think of, and usually it's for a subject of which we are already very much aware. An awareness day for almost everything exists except for awareness. I think a National Awareness Day Awareness Day is called for. This weekend's no exception. Believe it or not, yesterday was National Internet Day. I don't know if you're all aware of the internet. I can't see it catching on myself. The internet definition on the internet is a band called The Internet from Los Angeles, consisting of vocalist Sid, keyboardist Matt Martians, bassist Patrick Page II, drummer... Anyway, I don't think it's that. The other definition says that it's a global system of interconnected computer networks that uses the Internet Protocol Suite to communicate between networks and devices. Now, actually, I think it's the first one. And what you do is you send the band members of the Internet some information then they drive it around to other people's houses who want to look at it. The Internet was, in fact, invented by Sir Tim Berners-Lee 
who I think, as his name suggests, also invented the burner phone to help young drug dealers in county lines gangs to communicate with phone boxes. Yesterday was also World Stroke Day. I tried to explain to the screaming woman on the bus that I must have misread the purpose. Today's apparently Mischief Day, pretty much on the same lines it also happens to be National Texture X Day, which leads me to believe that it must also be National Fucking Stupid Idea Day. It's also National Prince Day. This turns out to be in celebration of the greatest pop star of all time, Prince Nelson Rogers. Or Prince Rogers Nelson, I do beg your pardon, one or the other. But initially I assumed it was a celebration of Prince Harry's new book, Spare, more of which in the next podcast. And it's National Knock Knock Joke Day. You may recall that I had that Jasmine Burtles in the back of my studio recently. Money Magpie founder, TV financial expert, comedian and author of numerous books, including one called 1001 Knock Knock Jokes. So who better to speak to? I asked her for her favourite knock knock joke and she came up with this one, which I thought was rather topical in regard to Liz Trust this week. Poor Liz sitting at home right now, back in the house in Greenwich. Yesterday's half-eaten Chinese in those metal containers strewn all over the kitchen worktop. No makeup on, fag on, snapping at the children. Get your own bloody breakfast. Um, here, anyway, here's Jasmine's offering. Knock, knock. Who's there? Let us. Let us who? Let us in and I'll tell you. Hugh, if it's quasi quarting, tell him the... F- Run for the hills. It's the Sunday Miller. I don't know if you happen to watch Doctor Who. I gave up years ago. It's never had the budget that big American sci-fi shows enjoy. And in the halcyon days, when the Doctor was generally an old wizard and geezer like Tom Baker, the majority of the sets and props were made from old loo rolls and fairy liquid bottles discarded by Blue Peter. It was finally canned in 1989 when Michael Gray was controller of BBC One, but they decided to revamp it in 2005 with a much bigger budget, and it's been running ever since with several new Doctors, regenerating every time an actor gets bored of having to drive down to that quarry in Wales to film it. It's the longest-running, officially the longest-running science fiction television show in the world. And next year it celebrates 60 years since the first episode aired, which is remarkable. So I thought I'd watch it uh, this week, as it was the current Doctor's finale, uh, with the thought that surely it can't be as woke and badly scripted and acted as I seem to remember, but unfortunately I did remember, and it was even worse. It's not so much the, the fact that when the Doctor transitioned into a woman, that being Jodie Whittaker, it seemed incongruous because the BBC felt it needed to either be a woman or someone of colour or gay or disabled or whatever else it says on that very long list of quotas it now adheres to. It's just that Jodie Whittaker turned out to be such a shit Doctor. She plays it like she's a, some sort of northern version of Daphne from Scooby-Doo, but with the irritating voice of Karen from Will and Grace. And the aura of invincibility and authority of the older wizened man has gone. It needs to be an Ian McKellen or a Bill Nye, who was a friend of mine suggested, but sadly a bit late now, Robbie Coltrane, who would have been marvellous. I've always thought it should be Frank Skinner, and I know that that would be his dream. But that would be genius, but about as unlikely as the FA having given the England job to Brian Clough. We were told that the next Doctor is going to be someone called Nakuti Gatwa, but there was a shock twist at the end of Jodie's final episode. I had to fast forward to the end or I would have become so brainwashed with virtue signalling I'd have found myself wanting to find that sixth floor hospital window that former friends of Vladimir Putin accidentally seemed to fall from. And it turned out that the new Doctor was in fact the old Doctor, David Tennant. He's apparently back for three episodes in an attempt to rescue the franchise in its diamond jubilee year. Doctor Who's become so woke in recent years I can only assume the reason they travel the universe in a police box is the programme has become so fucking unbearably PC.
That's it for this week. Thanks very much if you're still listening at this late stage of the pod. Remember, you may not agree with some of my opinions, but I'll promise never to cancel you if you promise to shut your face. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. Please let's respect the free speech we enjoy that those poor fuckers in Iran right now are being murdered for by the so-called morality police. So for that alone, it's paramount, paramount plus if you like, that in this polarised, divided world, please don't cancel anyone. They may just have a point. I'd like to tell you what's in next week's podcast, but I can't because the news hasn't happened yet. See you next time. The Sunday Miller is written and presented by Nick Miller with special guests Pete Cunningham and the voice of the balls, Alan Dedicate. <laughs>